0: What's up everybody, this is C-Dub And welcome to the second episode Of the C-Dub Pro Wrestling Podcast Um, As far as what is going to be happening this week We're going to do a couple uh, quick things here Again, trying to keep this podcast under 30 minutes So uh, today's agenda is that we're going to take a look At some of the things that happened this week in wrestling And then I have a little bit of a fantasy Multiversal type of match slash storyline For you to consider Consider it a early holiday gift As far as a hypothetical what if In wrestling, if it were to happen. Um, As far as anything personal that's going on right now, I'm just planning ahead here for a long winter break. Getting ready to see my family, to hopefully just be able to enjoy and relax after what's been a very stressful few months. Um, Just kind of take it easy. Enjoy some festivities some partying some eggnog some other liquids and other foods <laughs> and just to be able to again like i said just really decompress really after the last few months it's been a very very stressful few months uh but uh hopefully begin on the other side of New Year's and start the new year in 2023. Hopefully start making things a little bit better. So uh, just a few things I want to kind of talk about here in the first part of the show. Um, As far as this week in wrestling. Raw was again a chore to try to watch and stay entertained the entire show. And it's not as if. The wrestlers themselves are boring. I I never want to say that. But it is very disappointing when you watch a show like Raw and you see how much the show's just... not really hitting the marks that it needs to. And that they make stupid decisions. That they have to backtrack. Like this week the Bobby Lashley firing angle. At the end of this week's episode. They had to step that back. Because of the backlash. And people saying how stupid that was. And also because they ended up firing Mandy Rose in reality. Just a couple days later. Uh, they had to walk back the... Bobby Lashley firing angle for probably poor taste, maybe more than anything else when you think about it. But, again, Raw is just like so much of a second thought. It's clearly the B-show by a few miles when compared to SmackDown. SmackDown is clearly the the show that gets the greater amount of attention, and even that doesn't hit... Um, Hit all of its marks as we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. And another thing that's kind of depressing about Raw is watching Asuka. And watching how she's basically been watered down. And and seeing her lose week after week. <laughs> and I get it. People are going to say, well, it's part of the storyline. You see what they're doing with her makeup. You see what they're doing with uh, her saying that she's going to take a break. That's all well and good but let's just, you can bring her back as Kana, you can bring her back on TV. She's always going to be treated as an afterthought in this women's division, which is just unfortunate because to me to be honest with you, Asuka's the best wrestler in that women's division, especially now. And I think she gets treated like she's like an eighth or ninth person on whatever uh show she's on. And that's really disappointing. In fact, a large reason why she was the women's champion on uh on Raw in uh 2020 when the pandemic hit was because that really they the company felt like they had no other options but to put her in that position. And I think that's a major disappointment. I think she's someone that you could have really pushed and ran with uh but instead we've gotten this watered down makeup on dancing around acting acting non how do I even put it in my mind uh not acting like the the badass that she was and and NXT and even in the first few months in in WWE before WrestleMania when they sacrificed her to sh- the glory and the all-being awesomeness that is Charlotte Flair. My God, we always had to push her. Um, I'm still a little angry about that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, it just seems like Oscar's always gotten the bum rap, and I'm not convinced that just putting a new, fresh uh, coat of paint on her is going to change anything as far as Oscar standing in the company as, as far as um, Smackdown goes <sighs> I tried very hard to get into this show and I, I just couldn't do it I could care less about Hit Row, I could care less about uh, the Legata del Fantasma group, I can care less about the 5th or 6th times they repackaged War Machine as the Viking Raiders I, I just don't care um the, even the bloodline stuff was really stale this week. Um, you could have missed this episode and really not uh, not uh, missed anything as far as that goes. I also felt like the Ricochet and Gunther match. Uh, I'm sorry, Chicago. It was not awesome. It was just okay. Um, I'm not a fan of the Ricochet flips and dives. Especially when... He's facing someone like Gunther who's already got a program going on with uh, Braun Strowman. They've been teasing for weeks. I never bought for a second that Ricochet was going to win that match. And if I can't buy into that, I can't get invested. And nothing Ricochet does really sucks me into his matches. You can do the flips in 450s and Canadian Destroyers all you want. But if you don't do anything between the moves that gets me sucked into your matches and makes me care, I will not pay attention as much as I probably should. And I'm just being honest. Um, And as far as Gunther goes, Gunther's had much better matches, especially within the last year. Um, I would point to any match he had with Sheamus as being a better match than what we got on, on SmackDown. And again, that's not discrediting the athleticism of Ricochet. I just think always with Ricochet there's something missing in the character beats that he can, or the company, maybe that's more appropriate, the company can take turns in developing his psychology and developing his his character to the point where you're going to care about his matches. Because if I want to see people just do 450s and uh, splashes, I'll watch GCW. I'll watch independent wrestling. I I can see people do it just as well as Ricochet uh, on the independents. Ricochet has a major name for himself over the last several years, going back to his days in New Japan pro wrestling. I would hope, and even till Lucha Underground, I should say that too. He was in there. um, I think it was Puma, I think was his character's name. But anyways, so this tells you I know what I'm talking about with Ricochet he's got to find that way to connect the dots. And I don't see him connecting the dots. Again, I'm just a a fat dude saying this on a podcast, but I'm just saying as a consumer and as a viewer, they, they need to do more with him. They need to tell more of his story. Make me care about Ricochet instead of lackadaisical promos and being wowed by the fact that he can do a Centon splash or a 450 splash or a shooting star press. You know, again, what do you do? A lot of people can do that today. You have to do more to stand out. Just my two cents. Speaking of standing out, AEW. I have to give them credit this week. Uh Dynamite was enjoyable for most of the show, but I am going to Continue my argument with the Gunther and Ricochet match to the MJF and um, uh, Ricky Starks match. I could not get into that match. And the reason is because if you book programs on top of each other especially when you have a larger name like Brian Danielson already waiting in the background, you kind of get the idea that they're not going to give Ricky Starks the win over MJF, especially so early in his title run. So I never could get emotionally invested into the match. And one promo isn't going to do that. One promo is not going to get me to believe that Ricky Starks, who was off TV for a long time and 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 uh, maybe won this tournament and won this battle Oil, I just couldn't see him beating MJF. Especially after all MJF's kind of done over the last few months. That's not to say the match didn't have its moments. I really liked the ending uh, sequences of the match. Especially when MJF was trying to make uh, Starks tap out and he kept... Basically, pulling a Zack Sabre Jr. and tying up uh, the different parts of Starks' body, trying to keep him from reaching the bottom rope. I thought that was a very good ending, uh, or teasement ending, um, when Starks got to the rope. And then, of course, MJF did the low blow and and, and got the win off the low blow, which you would expect that from MJF. Uh, in fact, it kind of made Starks look stupid, to be honest with you, because. Starks got low blow the previous week. You'd think you'd have some sort of answer for the low blow. Um, The King of the Ring, 1999. Road Dog. that's all I'm going to say. When he faced China. But, um, again, it was a very enjoyable match, more or less. But just not something I could really emotionally get too invested into. The Elite and... um, Death Triangle. I love the fact that they brought back the the round belt, round ball rock. I'll get that right. Round ball rock. Um, from NBA on NBC. Growing up as a kid, I loved watching NBA basketball in the '90s and the early 2000s, especially when NBC had the coverage, and you would hear that music every time before the Chicago Bulls played. The New York Knicks. or they played the Utah Jazz in the NBA Finals. Or you would see the Kobe and Shaq era. The Lakers take on uh, their Western Conference. Uh, those usually the Sacramento Kings. Or the San Antonio Spurs. Were usually the ones that gave them the most fits. Um, in the Western Conference. So that music brought back a lot of memories. and I'm kind of... Iffy about the whole. I I don't see why they had the Elite lose again this week. Because now it kind of makes everything more choreographed as far as this fact. That we're, we are going to get to a 7 match series. I mean we already kind of knew that. But um, having them down 3-1. It just telegraphs that they're going to win match 5 and match 6. Whereas if you wouldn't have done a 2-2 tie. And having the Elite win this week. And making a 2-2 tie, it makes each of the other two matches coming up here much more unpredictable. Especially match five. I would definitely argue would have been much more unpredictable. Because from match five, you can probably predict who's going to win match six. But again, enjoyable match. Um, the whole ankle injury uh, thing for Nick Jackson was very entertaining. And the fact that the, the Death Triangle used those hammers again... Uh, to uh, get the win. Is a, is a nice character beat. And now next week. We're going to get a new disqualification match. To make the hammers and every other weapon legal. Is kind of another fun um, development here. But again. If, if I were booking I would have just made a 2-2 tie. And would have um, stoked up more interest for for match 5. But the big story. Ashton Andretti, who sounds like he's the missing son of Mario Andretti, got the win over the Ocho Chris Jericho. I remember watching the show live and Jericho making the riff about how he was going to um beat this jobber senseless tonight or something like that. And I just kind of knew it was like this is gonna be a, a close match. Uh, because when if Jericho's gonna go out of his way to mention the jobber he's wrestling, it makes you know he's not going to just roll over somebody. Um if he wasn't gonna put someone over, at least with a, a good competitive match, he wouldn't have ever mention them. Uh but to see him actually lose this guy in the in the biggest shocking um result since the one two three kid beat Razor Ramon um thirty years ago. God, I'm getting old. Uh but thirty years ago. That's a um uh, that was a great moment there. Uh whether they follow up with it with Andretti or not. Um I know if I were booking it, I'd I'd have uh Jericho continue to try to beat this guy time after time. I'd do three or four matches with him and, and Andretti would find a way each and every time to beat Jericho. And then even when I had Jericho beat Andretti, I'd have Jericho lock on the uh, walls of Jericho so long that the referee would reverse the decision, and give the the match to Andretti by disqualification, just to watch Jericho lose it even more. That's that's honestly what I would I would do if I had the the pencil, just to just to see and have Jericho just completely lose all sense of sense of self that even when he beats this guy he can't really beat him uh but again fun stuff and uh it'll be fun to see where it goes there with AEW God, I've already gone 15 minutes over this um so last thing Royal Rumble I heard a rumor that apparently because Carl Anderson was supposed to be doing some New Japan dates and has been defending the Never Openweight Championship in New Japan. That There's a rumor that a New Japan pro wrestling legend is going to, as a as a make good to New Japan, is going to be entered into the Royal Rumble um, to, to be spotlighted for the company. Kind of like what they did with Mickey James uh, a year ago in the Royal Rumble. So the rumor I read this morning, which again rumors, you just you have to kind of believe what you know, not what you hear. Uh so I'll believe this when I see it. But the rumor is that Minoru Suzuki is going to be a entrant into the Royal Rumble. And for those of you that have never seen a Suzuki match, he is one of the most legit badass MMA uh, uh, fighters that has ever wrestled. And not only that, but he was the inventor of Pancrase, which was basically an MMA offshoot in Japan. Uh, he's legitimately one of the toughest dudes you ever will see in a in a, in a competition. Uh, he tapped out Ken Shamrock twice in those Pancrase uh, fights. So... It would be a nice get, especially at the end of Suzuki's career here. He's like 54, 55, somewhere around there. To have that moment to be entered into the Rumble. Just like, even though you know he's going to be eliminated. Uh, But it would just be a nice little moment to have him show up in the WWE. And have that type of uh, moment. Again, if I had the pencil. I'd put Nakamura in the ring at the same time as Suzuki. I'd have Nakamura basically in there. Um, he'd be the last guy standing in the ring Several others would be down after he's hit some Kinshasa's And the countdown would go down And you would hear the uh, The music for Minoru Suzuki go off With the whole Ninare, You know, entrance through the ropes And I would have just Nakamura Staring at Suzuki like You're not supposed to be here You know, shock And, and, and Nakamura, whether you love the guy or hate him I absolutely love him But Nakamura is a great facial expression guy. And he would sell that moment like you couldn't believe. Um, Which again, that's another story of them not using Nakamura as well as they could. But again, this would be a really nice moment for both Nakamura and Suzuki, who had matches in New Japan, to kind of face off again this time in a WWE ring during one of the biggest matches Of its calendar year. So just keeping ear or an eye out for that. That may happen uh, come the end of January. Alright. I'm going to take a little bit of a break here. When uh, the musical interlude is done. For you it will be 9 seconds for me. It will be a few minutes here. uh, While I get a drink of water. Uh, But when I come back. We're going to talk about a fantasy wrestling matchup. For the week. Back in a second. All right, and we're back. So let's talk a little bit about a fantasy match. I'm gonna try to do these once in a while here. And this is just kind of a fun what-if type of segment. Nothing to be taken too seriously. It's basically saying if I had a time machine or I had some sort of multiversal plot device or if I had Doctor Strange who could open up the multiverse, you know, what things would I put together as a wrestling fan? That I would want to watch and see happen. So when I was thinking about this. The first match that came to my mind was this. Because we never really got to see this. And it's something as a fan of psychology. And a fan of promos. And a fan of prolonged storylines that would tell a great story. It's something that I think would be very entertaining... For those that get wrestling. I mean truly get wrestling. As far as having a prolonged story... That can be... Culminated with something truly resonant. So for that, for this first episode... We're going to take two men who were both active in the year 1996. So this isn't going to be much of a divergent type of match or dream match. But it is one we never got to see. I'm going to take the seeking redemption. The having Slate his demons temporarily through the power of the Bible and his studies of the Bible. Jake the Snake Roberts from the WWF. Yes, the same Jake Roberts who had the Austin 316 promo shot on him during the King of the Ring tournament in 1996. That Jake Roberts taking on a man that he mentored and taught... And help develop into the man and the wrestler that he became. The cult leader of the nest. The cult leader of the flock in WCW. Yes, the Raven. quoth the Raven nevermore. Scott Levy slash Raven. Would be the man I would put against Jake Roberts. In my first ever of these fantasy matchups. So how would this play out? How would I do this? Alright, so this is X Federation, right? Just I don't care if you want to put this in WWF, WCW, ECW, you know, the high school gym right down the street from you. Whatever. Whatever federation you want to put it in. I would have these two be basically what Jake Roberts was. In the 80s into the 90s both these men be working as the face in the heel doorway to the main event because if you think about it from the 80s and 90s most of the wrestlers who are working their way up from Hogan or maybe even coming down from Hogan ended up facing Jake Roberts at one point or another so to that effort I would put Jake and Raven in a similar situation As both face and heel Working with younger talent And maybe even Older talent working their way down From whoever the champion is The point of this storyline Is that Both of these men Of course know each other But they're being deliberately Kept apart For months on end And You only start building up to their Eventual confrontation And then weeks preceding A major battle royal And it would just be The slightest thing Like the commentator would maybe make a mention Of Raven Learned from the best In the business like Jake the Snake Roberts You know just something off the hand like that Or you know Jake Roberts I wonder what Jake Roberts thinks about what Raven is doing You know, having taught, you know, Raven a thing or two about the wrestling business. I would even have the two of them maybe in the backstage area. Or even in Raven's case, maybe even sitting at ringside during some of Jake's matches. Or Jake sitting standing in the backstage area being seen watching Raven do his thing. And then... Whenever you decide to pull the trigger and have the match happen. At that battle royal. Whether it's a battle royal, royal rumble, whatever. The point is that that confrontation would be the first time ever. That those two men would stare at each other within the ring. You talk about two men that could tell a story. Especially in Jake's case. By just what his facial mannerisms are. You could sell that moment. And they don't touch. They just stare at each other. Because it's that moment that these two recognize that now they've crossed paths. Now, in my hypothetical storyline, Jake does not help Raven in that match. In fact, he stands and watches Raven get eliminated. But then Jake goes on to win the battle royal. And Jake would then go on to challenge whomever the champion is at the big event in, say, three or four weeks. And then I would continue to have Raven sitting at ringside. Now, I would not have commentary at all make note of Raven being eliminated while Jake did nothing. That's what I would use for One of the precipices of what's about to happen. So Jake gets his title match. Which, by the way, if you watch old WWF, WWE. Jake really never got a world title match. Very seldomly, and of course in some house shows. But never really on TV if you think about it. So you would hype this up as a big deal. So during this world title match, Jake hits... The DDT on the champion. But in the process, he accidentally knocks over the referee. Jake's got the guy covered. he do a visual pin. One, two, three. But there's no referee. The crowd's counting and going nuts. Jake gets up to shake the referee. To wake him up. Raven jumps the guardrail. Goes behind Jake. Hits him with the even flow DDT. And drapes the champion on top of him. One, two, three. Raven, the student, has cost his teacher, Jake the Snake Roberts, the world championship. In front of us, hopefully sold out crowd of this arena. Then you begin the storyline and Raven explaining his reasons. And people are going to be thinking... Well, Raven just did this to get back at Jake for not helping him in the battle royal. Then Raven explains. Raven, of course, being a cult leader, being a messiah, a martyr for his cause. Raven will tell the crowd that he idolized and adored Jake as the father that he wished he always would have had. But then he watches Jake try to tell everybody that he's reformed, that he's redeemed, that he's no longer the dark, sinister psychopath anymore. And to Raven, that means he's a pariah. He's some lost soul. Raven looks at Jake, not with pity, but with disdain as somebody that he now has to take out because now the teacher is no longer just someone he can no longer learn from. He now has to take that teacher out. He has to end him by any means necessary. To let Jake become world champion would be a nightmare for Raven. So Raven's going to pull an old yeller on Jake for what he used to be. He's going to put him out of his misery. For those of you who have never seen the old yeller movie. Jake's gonna hear that. And Jake's gonna try to go after Raven. The whole key of this is Jake will demand a match with Raven, because Raven. Raven's kind of playing like a, a you can't get to me type of game. He's using the flock or the nest as a means to keep Jake away. Because Raven's gonna strike. But Raven's gonna strike when Raven wants to. Whereas Jake is starting to pick apart. The nest, person by person, week after week. And then when you finally think that Jake's going to get to Raven, to teach him the uh, ultimate lesson of putting somebody down when you have the chance, that's when Raven's going to strike. He's going to break the DDT arm of Jake Roberts. He's going to take a sledgehammer or a steel chair and break... Jake's arm. And then he'll finally tell Jake, alright, fine, you'll get your match. After he's broken Jake's arm. Because he wants to break Jake not only physically, but mentally. And that's where the next part comes in. See, for Raven, it's not just enough to break an old man. He could do that. He could give him the even flow week after week and just... End him. But no, he wants to torture Jake. And he knows that Jake having to wait weeks, six to eight weeks, to get this arm healed, is going to drive Jake even more. And in fact, Jake's not going to be able to wait that long. Four weeks later, he's going to try to get at Raven. But again, the nest will provide the necessary distraction for Raven to hit the even flow again on Jake. Then in a sick twist, Raven will tie up Jake's arms into the ropes. Of course, Jake's screaming in agony because his arm's broken. His arm's broken here, and Raven has taken the arm out of the sling and tied it up to the ropes. Some of you may know where I'm going with this. Raven's going to take the snake out of Jake's own bag. And have the snake bite Jake right on the broken arm. And if I were booking it, I'd have his kids and his family right there in the front row. Or actors, whoever, would be playing Jake's family. Right there in the front row. It would be the sickest, cruel twist of fate. The guy that did this to Macho Man in front of Elizabeth. and In front of everybody around the world is now getting it from his student, Raven. Raven's doing the crucifix pose right in front of his family while the snake continues to bite and gnaw on Jake's arm. And then, the blow-off match would happen. Four weeks later, Jake's arm's still wrapped up. It's still, many people consider it to be broken. Of course, it's never really confirmed whether it's still broken or not. But the whole point is, Jake's going into that match at less than 100%. To make things even worse, it's a steel cage match. And to make things even worse, it's an I quit match. That's right, we're going totally in Magnum TA here on this one. So it's Jake versus Raven in a steel cage I quit match. For once and for all to find out who the teacher and who the student really is. Raven spends the first 10-12 minutes of the match working over Jake's arm. He's not even asking the referee to ask if Jake's quitting. Raven doesn't care. He's going to rip apart Jake Roberts once and for all. He's not even going to give him the option of quitting. What's going to happen, though, is that Raven... He's going to toy around with Jake a little too long. And then he's going to realize that while one arm may be damaged, Jake can hook the DDT with the other arm. So here's how this happens. Jake goes for the short arm clothesline, but uses his broken, uh, supposedly broken arm. And he sells in a pain and goes crumbling onto the ground, kicking while he's holding his arm. Laying on the mat. Raven's going to get up on his knees watching Jake. And scream at him. You know, you're know, you broken, old man. You're broken. I'm going to put you out of your misery. Raven picks up Jake. But then Jake, all of a sudden, snap DDTs him with the other arm. Now, this is an I quit match, so you realize it's not over yet and see Jake doesn't want it to end either so he DDTs Raven again crowd pops even more the referee looks at Jake and says you want to ask him if he quits Jake's like no no we're just just starting now picks up Raven DDTs him again and again five times with a DDT Raven is basically lifeless and dead in the ring Jake unwraps the arm that was supposedly broken. It's been fine the entire time. So then Jake starts slapping the lifeless body of Raven. What's wrong? What's wrong, Scotty? What's wrong? We're not done yet. No, no, we're just getting started. Then he takes Raven, ties him up to the ropes, takes handcuffs and handcuffs Raven to the cage, takes a steel chair wrapped in barbed wire, and then grinds it against Raven's head to bust him open. Then he goes to the bag. now again, this is a steel cage match another company this isn't this WWF crap where you escape the cage and the match is over. He goes outside the cage, grabs a snake, brings it back into the ring. Now you may be wondering where's the nest in the flock this entire time? Well see Jake's already taken care of the nest in the flock because the announcers are asking what's going on with the nest and the flock and raven's even going you know like you know almost somewhat lifeless you know they're like trying to wave them on with his arm and jake's going to say oh you're, you're talking about them right points to the screen they're locked up in the locker room he's got a forklift or something right in front of the door they can't get to raven to save their leader So then Jake pulls out the snake and is getting ready to put it against Raven to have him feel what Jake felt. And that's when Raven says, I quit. I quit. And Jake goes, what's wrong, Scotty? Oh, you think this is the snake that's going to bite you? No, 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 no he goes back outside and he pulls out a much bigger bag. We're talking like, if any of you are old school fans, like the Lucifer type of snake. A giant python type of snake pulls it out. And that's the snake that's going to bite Raven at the end here. The moral of the story is this. Jake Roberts always said in his promos, You don't play with people like me. Because people like me, we just don't play. So then Jake can go on saying he taught the student a lesson. And then Raven, being the sick person that he is, can say that he brought back that old sinister side of his master, his teacher, Jake Roberts, and made Jake whole again thus proving to his flock in his nest that Raven's way is the way you know you can you can hear Raven spit off the the messianic nonsense. Cause if you know the character he would find a way to spin it one way or another. That's how I would book the feud between Jake Roberts and Raven. Let me know in the comments or in the emails the email, of course, included in the description below on this uh, podcast, what you think. And if you're interested in another one, send me an email or send me a message, especially those of you that know me. Send me a message to let me know what hypothetical match you would like to see, or how you would book this match if it were to happen. Alright, so that's going to do it for this week's edition of the CW Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, there will be a special holiday edition Uh, Coming up here sometime during the holiday weekend. In fact, I may record a little bit earlier and have it drop right on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Of course, uh, no obligation to actually listen to it until much later. And then if there's going to be another show, there'll probably be one right before New Year's Eve. So there may be two coming up next week. Also, as a final note, if you have an opportunity to listen to a podcast this week, I highly encourage anybody uh, to go out and listen to the Gentleman Villain podcast uh, that was dropped this week. And it's the second-to-last episode because William is going to be leaving the podcast to focus on what's assumed to be his WWE NXT obligations going forward. But there's a podcast where he had sent the... Uh, host, a list of the do's and don'ts of wrestling. It's a 30 minute listen, and I think the list starts about 12 or 13 minutes left in the episode. So, at about the 17 or 18 minute mark, give it a good listen because that's a guy that's been wrestling for several decades into his teens, probably maybe even earlier, and talking about what is expected for wrestlers, what's not expected for wrestlers, and what are just some good things to do for today's up-and-coming wrestlers. So, take a look for that again. It's Gentleman Villain. Uh, You should be able to listen to it on whatever podcast thing that you have. And again, that's (laughs) non-solicited. I'm just telling you, it's a darn good listen. Alright, so, again, this is it for this week's C-Dub Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is c Dub. And until next time, the bell is rung, ding, ding, ding.